Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Crack Krakoa, the series where I'm exploring the dawn of X, Marvel's new X-Men launch. Today, we're talking about two comics released this week in the X-Men franchise, the first time that's happened since House of X and Powers of X debuted those many, many weeks ago. Today, I'll be talking about X-Force number one. Where does it fit into X-Men Dawn of X? This issue is by Benjamin Percy, Dean White, and Joshua Kassara, and I'm continuing to explore all elements of the exciting Dawn of X here here on the Comic Book Herald channel. Now, I should note spoilers for X-Force number one will follow, as well as some of the events of House of X and Powers of Ten. Today, I'll be answering the questions. How does X-Force fit into the Dawn of X and Hickman's X-Men? What happens when mutant kind's resurrection protocols are threatened? And what mutant deaths are still a huge deal Plus answers to questions like, what's up with Black Tom Cassidy? Why aren't Krakoa's security protocols more refined? And several more. If you've been playing along here with Comic Book Herald and you've been enjoying the content, I would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you would subscribe to the Best Comics Ever podcast as well, that would be super awesome. Or as always, you can go on over to comicbookherald.com where I am writing and producing more content on the regular. I do all sorts of reading order guides. Before I get to the comics, quick thank you to Comic Book Herald's mysterious benefactors. These are the site supporters on patreon.com slash comicbookherald who are contributing at the mysterious benefactor tier. Thank you, Jeff Zacharias and Steve Brennan, for your support of Comic Book Herald on Patreon. What is X-Force? X-Force has been the strong arm of mutant justice and revenge since their conception in 1991, with strong ties to creator Rob Liefeld. The original 90s lineup is driven by Cable, with the likes of Domino, Cannonball, Boom Boom, and several others. In 2008, X-Force effectively became Wolverine's covert ops book, at the behest of X-Nation's then-leader, then-mutant leader, Cyclops, doing the violent jobs the X-Men could not. If you're thinking about X-Force from this time, here are the elements that typically matter. Sex, violence, sex and violence, killing with a cause, and the morality thereof, guns and claws. My favorite take on this team is from 2010 to 2012, with Rick Remender and artists like Jerome Opeña and Greg Tacchini frequently with Dean White colors in Uncanny X-Force. This is where we get stories like The Apocalypse Solution and The Dark Angel Saga, which are some of my favorite Marvel comics of the decade. Actually, they're just straight up some of my favorite comics of the decade, which we are chronicling right now on ComicBookHerald.com. Every weekend, we're putting up 10 new issues of the best comics of the decade. This Uncanny X-Force run fits in that category. Most recently, X-Force had a short 2018-2019 to 2019 10-issue run by Ed Breeson with art originally by Dylan Burnett. The series followed in the wake of Extermination and restored a 90s nostalgia lineup of Cannonball, Boom Boom, Warpath, Domino, Shatterstar, and Cable. Kinda. For the purposes of Dawn X, there are a couple meaningful elements. One, this is the last we've seen in Cannonball, of Cannonball, Sam Guthrie, prior to going missing in deep space, again, which is a thread we'll be following in New Mutants. New Mutants number one is the other X-Men book that was released this week, and I will have a video and explanation and discussion going up here on that issue as well. The second big item is this, this last X-Force run follows up on the death and de-aging of Cable, which happened in the pages of Extermination, a five-issue event, explaining why he is now Teen Cable in Dawn of X. I should note here, X-Force number one, 
It's not a cable book, right? So we talked about the origins of X-Force are, are sort of intrinsically tied to cable. This is not a cable book so far. We now have seen him reference Teen Cable in Fallen Angels, which is an X book that has yet to come out yet. So what's the role in this new of X-Force in this new mutant world of X? There are still a wide variety of threats to the world of mutants, despite their powerful new standing. In X-Force number one, we see everything from warped feral wildlife to human terrorist cells threatening the Krakoan way of life. X-Force number one begins to provide a glimpse to the island's defense systems, and most pertinently in this first issue, its tremendous failings. As Wolverine says here to Beast after he's attacked by some wildlife, whatever the hell that thing was, you didn't see it coming because you felt sheltered. That's what Krakoa does, makes everyone feel safe. And when you're safe, you're soft. Let me try that again. <clears throat> and when you're safe, you're soft. Within a single issue, we see a very dark underpinning to Krakoa as a mutant massacre takes shape on the island alongside Black Tom Cassidy's real-world mirrorings, concerns about the nation's tolerance of unknown refugees rescued by Kate Pride's marauders from all over the globe. While so much of X-Men for the past 15 weeks has been a celebration of their progress, X-Force number one is a regression into fear, uncertainty, and bloodshed, a world that fears and hates them, following them, the X-Men, the mutants, even here to Krakoa. It's a it's a kind of tough pill to swallow, if we're being honest, because of how happy and how positive things have been in Krakoa, in X-Men books, up to this point. And we'll talk about a little bit that as well, in terms of how that reflects on X-Force as a title. I'll pause here to mention X-Force number one is a strong showing for Black Tom Cassidy, and if the last time you thought about Banshee's cousin was during the likes of the Phoenix Saga, or the X-Men animated series reproduction of that same story, where Black Tom and Juggernaut team up to fight the X-Men, he's changed significantly since then. Here we see Black Tom more closely aligned to the likes of DC's Floronic Man, which is in line with his power set, Bonding with Plant Life. His mixture of plant form makes Tom... Black Tom, uniquely situated for Krakoa, expressing a bond with the island that doesn't necessarily rival Cypher's, but comes closer than most we've seen. It's also worth noting for future stories that Black Tom has used his plants to create clones before. Come on down, Mondo of the New Mutants, which could easily come into play given how this issue ends. A little bit of a, a, a tease there about some ways that we might back out of the ending of X-Force number one. Before I get to the beginning, though, let's take a moment to explore X-Force's connective tissue within Dawn of X. First off, this comic is surprisingly connected to Marauders, following on the heels of Kate Pride's and company's Russian rescue refugee operations. The biggest reveal here is that Kate and the team rescued Colossus from Russia, where he'd been protecting and fighting for mutants at Xavier's behest. There's a moment in the video game Ultimate Alliance where Doctor Doom dismembers a steel Colossus, and this shot of his busted leg by Josh Kassara really brings back that sickening feeling of seeing the Metal Man crumpled in defeat and absolute dejection. It's a tough one to watch. I quite liked Kassara's art throughout this issue. I think it's perhaps a bit uneven at times. I don't know if you go back to that Marauders image I showed on the previous slide, Kitty's face is missing like she's wearing a question mask, but when he gets the work in where it's more detailed, it's quite good. 
Speaking of Xavier, I was surprised to find how much space X-Force dedicated to the perceived mutant savior. We get Professor X as a foreign dignitary welcomed into the ominous arms of Sokovia, drinking their toast with what I'd argue is reckless abandon. I had this moment when he put the, the glass to his lips of thinking, no, what are you doing? Before I remembered... Well, he can read their minds, I suppose. Probably he would know if there was poison in that liquid, right? And, of course, there's the ominous tease here from the Sokovian dignitary that greets him, saying, May he live forever. This all comes after we've seen Professor X's weirdly incriminating memos about Krakoa's plans for working with non-treaty nations, those nations who won't respect mutant severity. It shouldn't come as a shock at this point, but seeing Professor X put in writing that he's on board with Sebastian Shaw, the Black King's covert punitive measures, is a huge admission of the death of his dream as we've known it for years. My favorite piece of this memo, though, is the note about mutant operatives stealthily working to undermine administrations that don't play along with Krakoa. This is some fascinating spy games on the world stage that the X-Men haven't long been a part of, and I, for one, am excited to see play out. Which brings us inevitably to the issue's cliffhanger ending, a gunshot which is apparently blasted through Cerebro as Professor X attempted to escape the terrorists invading Krakoa and slaughtering mutants. The violence in X-Force number one is unsettling. And that's intentional. There's been a lot of consternation about lowered stakes with deaths so easily undone on Krakoa, and this issue serves as a reminder that life is still a fragile thing, and that bigoted violence is still terrifying. We barely made it four books after House of X and Powers of Ten without the quote-unquote X-Mansion getting blown up. I'll be honest, it feels too soon to me to have Krakoa infiltrated like this. To my mind, this sort of war on the island is a major deal that could have been saved for later. But it wasn't. And that's clearly a choice that Benjamin Percy, Kassara, and the creative teams have made in line or aligned, presumably, with Hickman and the world of X-Men. We've seen Professor X and his backups of mutant kind offer a vision of deathless heaven for mutants. He has promised them all safety. The question that X-Force number one is forcing us to ask is what happens if Professor X is threatened? And same goes for any of the five key to resurrection protocols. Who are the mutants that Krakoa simply cannot lose before the new status quo is shattered? Now, I don't actually think Professor X is dead, or if he is, it's 100% to clarify Charlie's contingencies for this eventuality, and to work as a signal, perhaps to those terrorists out there who think they can strike at the man, that assassinating one man simply will not work. This gets to a bigger takeaway I have from this issue, which is that Krakoan security seems woefully unprepared for this event. It's a single issue, so I would guess all is not as it seems, but given the masterful planning that Myra, Professor X, Magneto, and the like put into planning for Krakoa, I really have a hard time accepting that aerial assaults were in the sole hands of Sage and Black Tom, a distracted Sage and Black Tom Cassidy. Plus, when you consider assets like the Five, Mutant Kind has a lot to lose, and clearly they know better than to expect the world to play along nicely with their new declarations of godhood. I have to ask here, Krakoa's new. I get that. Why is defense so bad in this issue? It seems like a strange choice to me to have X-Force sort of explain or have this issue be the rise of X-Force, you know, creating the need for X-Force, when that should have already been on everyone's mind. So again, the question for me isn't really, is Professor dead? X-Men mastermind Jonathan Hickman was very clear in his off-panel podcast interview that death of characters is not really going to be used as a hook. There has to be a more interesting story if a death is used. Remember, 
He used the deaths of an entire X-Men squad in House of X number 4 to get to the resurrection protocols unveiled in House of X number 5. So even if Professor X has been killed in some way, the question to me then becomes, what are his plans for resurrection? How does that work? Likewise, given the massacre they just faced, how does X-Force respond both outwardly and internally in terms of improving Krakoa's defense? Regarding resurrections, Charles injects the backups. That's what we know so far. That's what we saw in House of X number 5. No one else has done this to date to our knowledge. There's a reference here to training telepaths, and these are the data pages from House of X number 5 that detail how resurrection works, but certainly that training hasn't yet happened. There's also a note on the third page of resurrection protocols about force conventions superseding normal resurrection protocols, and surely that would apply to the case of Professor X. But what I'm most curious to see is if Professor X is the one who uses his psychic abilities to restore the essence, to restore the, the sort of soul to mutants that may have died, who does it when Professor X is dead? Who does it if Professor X is killed? Jean Grey seems like a very obvious potential choice, but of course, again, like we don't actually have reference here to psychics who are trained to do this. So I think that is an, that, to me, is the more interesting question for this comic book than, oh my gosh, is the professor dead? It's what are the contingencies set up to bring him back? So far, X-Force number one is the least confident book we've seen, and likely it's ranked last on my favorites. Perhaps as a result, I find its messiness and the issues it considers mildly fascinating. The issue's disjointed, a bit chaotic. By the end of the comic, this mirrors the events taking place. Krakoa is invaded. People are under attack. It's scary. Nobody quite knows what's happening. It's dark. It's kind of what the comic feels like. You can't say the book's not connected, though. This is the most we've seen of Professor Rex since the kickoff, and we even get a really strong Marauders tie-in. I'm very curious to see where things go from here because there are some major questions to be answered. X-Force offers several possible focuses, but selects almost none of them, so we'll also see if this series can find a clear lane or remain overextended. What is X-Force going to be moving forward? I don't know yet, honestly. It's, it's not what I expected, and I'm very, very curious to see how it plays out in the future of Dawn of X. So, as all of you have been doing over on YouTube or, of course, on CBH, your best comics ever pod, leave me your theories, your thoughts, your notes. What do you think of X-Force number one? What do you think the book's going to be moving forward? You know, I was expecting more of a CIA-style X-Force team that was out sort of proactively executing missions for mutant kind, but instead what we get is the team and mutant kind on its heels and something they're not really prepared for. Unless, as could be expected, this is all a tease. You know, I pitched the theory up top. Black Tom Cassidy was the last person speaking to Professor X. Could the running, fleeing Professor X have been a decoy that Black Tom Cassidy created with the help of Krakoa and plant-based life forms? I feel like that's very possible. That, to me, is more interesting if X-Force here is maybe all of a setup to catch some of these terrorists that we saw in the early going of the issues and that remind me very much of the cavalry it has been introduced in the new Watchmen on HBO in order to catch some of them in the act. We also got teased in the early going Domino being potentially captured by this group and now is off the grid. What's going on with her, right? There's a lot of lingering threads, and I'm curious to see how they play out as X-Force continues. So definitely, like everything in Dawn of X, I can't imagine a book being bad enough <laughs> or, like, you know, intentionally 
disparaging enough that I wouldn't want to read at least the first arc. And there's a lot that X-Force could do here that could make it one of my favorites. Now, I said, you know, on a single-issue basis, it's not my favorite. And I think it's a pretty choppy issue. It doesn't quite... Even even the attackers, those terrorists, those action sequences were hard to tell. Should I know these characters by the end of this? Are they definitely from that terrorist group we saw in the beginning of the comic? I'm not 100% on that, the way the story was told. I read it once. It's a single issue. There will be more detail as we go. So I'm going to remain optimistic about X-Force number one. It's right now. I'd give it a few issues. If you're really on the fence about Dawn of X, wait till two and three come out and see what you know. I'm saying here in Compa Carol to what other people are saying probably before you check it out, I would say. Plus, the way this issue ends, it ends in such a way that probably the rest of the X-Books, uh, they might have to reference this, right? So there could be a continuity thing going on here in the reading order where, like I said, New Mutants number one came out this week as well. You should definitely read New Mutants number one before X-Force because if you do the inverse, it doesn't quite make sense. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Dave Busing on ComicBookHerald.com. Again, I'll be doing a video for New Mutants. We'll do a little bit of the history of New Mutants. We'll do how it fits into Dawn of X and then some theories about what this book's potential is as well. I'll maybe be doing that video next because, again, we got two X-Men books now in a week. I was just having this conversation with Zach, my my co-host on My Marvelous Year Reading Club, that uh, I kind of loved the one issue at a time, the one issue a week cadence that the X-Books were on. Now we're up to two per week. It's a lot of videos to make, man. It's a lot of content to produce. But thanks, everybody, for listening. You can like, subscribe here. That would be greatly appreciated. And as always, enjoy the comics. (laughs) 